So tonight I want to, I want to try to talk fast, which for someone that, that spent most of his life in the South, we talk slow, we think slow. So I'm going to do the very best that I possibly can. But we've been talking about patterns of prayer the last three weeks, looking at the pattern of prayer in Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. But tonight, just as, and I mean, this is a drive-by tonight, look at some other patterns that we see on how we can pray. And then next week and the week following, it will take at least two weeks, I want to talk about and unpack what it means to pray in the Spirit. What is what what... What does it mean when we look at pray continuously? What does it mean in Romans 8 when it talks about the Spirit praying through us? What is this thing about this prayer language that we see in Scripture? How does that work? So next week and the week following, we're going to be unpacking that. But tonight, we're going to talk about some other patterns of Scripture. And I'll start by just just doing this by way of testimony. I was raised a heathen Episcopalian. And you can be a heathen anything, fill in the blank. You can be a heathen Baptist, you can be a, a heathen Lutheran, you can be, I don't know if you can be a heathen and charismatic, you know, it'd be a little tricky, but nevertheless, I mean, I was raised in the church. How many of you were raised in the church? There we go. The vast majority of you come from some background, and maybe you were forced to be there as a child, which I was. Because it meant that if I didn't go to church, I didn't get lunch. And as you heard last week, I like to eat. So I went to church. And so I was raised in this tradition. And in the Episcopal Church, they believe in infant baptism. But they have believed in this moment called confirmation where when you are, quote, of age, which is somewhere around 12, then you have this ceremony called confirmation. The bishop comes in, he squeezes your head, and... You memorize a bunch of stuff, and then at that point, you get to drink real liquor at uh, communion. And so you, I'm sorry, excuse me, it's port wine, all right? But when you're 12 years old, that's pretty cool. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not just, you're not just sprinkled anymore when you go up to the communion rail, is that now you get to partake, you know, I, I'm there, okay? But an amazing thing happened that When I became a Christian in 1976, I knew God, but I didn't know how to pray. But I remembered this little book right here, which happens to be known as the Book of Common Prayer. This is a book of liturgy from the denomination that I was raised in. And I thought, well, I'm common. And, you know, this is a book of prayers. So maybe this would be a good starting point, being I have no idea what to do. And so I begin to, I started right here. And I remember this creed that was part of the catechism that we had to memorize. And it was called the Nicene Creed. There's a shorter version. That's known as the Apostles' Creed. That's, you know, for folks who are a little ADD and they didn't want to just do the whole thing. So they, they had to shorten it to kind of, you know, carve 30 seconds off of the order of service. And so, but the Nicene Creed, 325 AD, and most of the historical creeds of the faith were, for the most part, theological clarifications of some point of doctrine 
That was in dispute in the moment. And in this particular moment in, in 325, it was a dispute regarding the nature of Christ. Was he something other than God? And so this creed developed as a theological statement, what we would call, if you wish, our statement of belief. You can go out to our website and you can see these are the things that we believe, but packed together in this creed, in this faith, is an orthodox statement. This is what we believe. Now, let me just, let me read this to you because those of you that are coming from another tradition, you maybe you've never heard this before, but this is, this is pretty cool. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Some of you know this. Begotten, not bade, being of one substance, essence with the Father. Right there is the statement that clarified the question. By whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary, was made man, was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Do you feel any juice on that? Now, this is amazing. This is a theological document written 17 or 1800 years ago, and we read it and we still feel something coming at us. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I mean, all of a sudden now we're declaring, talk about declaring and decreeing, pick up a creed if you want to declare and decree something. Because what you're stating here is something that you believe now powerful. By the way, just so you don't get all messed up, when it talks about one Catholic and apostolic church, it's not talking about the Roman church. Catholic just means the church universal. It means that, that we're not it. It's, it's all of this happening out there. And so this was how I started. And I had said those words hundreds of times as a child and as a teenager, standing in an Episcopal church, and they meant nothing to me. They were just words. And then all of a sudden, through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, I began to say these same words. And all of a sudden, it was like, wow. You mean that? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. And so this started my journey of figuring out, okay, well, if the Nicene Creed works, maybe there, maybe there's one or two other prayers in here that could really help me. You know, one of the things that's hard for us and part of the ongoing revelation and sanctification of God is realizing how messed up we are in relationship to God. Now, God loves you. It's cool. All right. He's working on you. 
It's going to be okay, but the reality is repentance is not something that comes naturally to you and to me. Most children don't repent. That's why children need siblings. I mean, you, you got to have, you know, you got to point. I, and so we're your only child. You just messed up. That's why only children are so messed up. It's not that they're overindulged. They got nobody to blame. They really don't. Unless a dog can somehow hold a crayon and walk you know, right on the wall. But so we, we read. Let me, let me read this general confession straight out of the Book of Common Prayer. Listen to this. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. Sounds a lot like Romans, doesn't it? And there is no health in us, but thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Now, I might say, Pastor Jim, why are you reading me a prayer? Because I think there are times that we need some help. You know, and even today, besides just not trying to turn the clock back and remember the smell of candles or revisit, you know, part of my childhood, is that if you look at how theologically dense those few words are, it's amazing how much ground gets covered in an incredibly short period of time. And so we look at some of these historical prayers and creeds of the faith. And there are so many out there. And, and you can go out to the worldwide interwebs and you can find all of this information. There are books. But we can see some of the prayers of some of the greats that have gone before. Some of these you've heard. St. Patrick. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. So we don't even need Robert on the keys to break out into worship right there. I'm just reading. I'm just reading. St. Francis, make me an instrument of thy peace. Say, oh, I've heard that. Well, this is where it comes from. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith, despair, hope, darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it's giving that we receive. It's imparting that we're pardoned. And it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Martin Luther. Grant that I may not pray alone with the mouth. Help me that I may pray from the depths of my heart. 
a reformer's prayer, anonymous. Lord, reform thy world beginning with me. A.W. Tozer. Lord, teach me to listen. The times are noisy and my ears are weary with a thousand raucous sounds which continuously assault them. Give me the spirit of the boy Samuel when he said to thee, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Let me hear thee speaking in my heart. Let me get used to the sound of thy voice, that its tones may be familiar. When the sounds of earth die away, and the only sound will be the music of thy speaking. This is, this, this, these, these, are, these are powerful historical prayers. And besides the wordsmithing and the poetry that, 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 te- that, that, that touches us at a deep soulish level, what you're finding here, these are words that, again, they've been so carefully constructed and put together that there's no, there's no fat on the bone whatsoever. None. And sometimes if in, in the assault of life, how many of you know that sometimes life just assaults you? That it's just, it's just hard. Where is the book of Romans again? And sometimes it's just hard just to get focused where we can pick up many times one of these historic, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we begin to recite, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. We begin to recite one of these pattern prayers. And all of a sudden, we're refocused and we're redirected. Amen? You know, one of the great, you know, one of the great joys of my life is being in, a church like ours, part of a apostolic family of churches that are not bound by certain historical traditions whereby which those traditions don't allow the Holy Spirit the privilege of being able to continually write on a people and direct them accordingly. We're not bound by a liturgy that's in a book or what grandma did or the deacon board did. I mean, I I love being in the type of church that God has deposited my wife and I in for the past 40 years. But I have to say that if there's any little tinge of regret is that in churches, in, in, in the charismatic and the Pentecostal world, we tended to throw away some really good stuff because we said, you know what? We're free now. We got the Holy Ghost inspiring us. We really don't need all of this old dusty historical stuff anymore. And so we, we tossed out things like, the liturgical year, those things whereby which we can kind of hang our life on. Now, not just Easter and Christmas, but there's a certain symmetry that we get from being tied to some of these historical realities. And looking at some of these historical prayers and creeds, they tie us to some of those things. Now, please hear me. Please hear the right thing. Get the right takeaway here. Pastor James saying he doesn't like your, he doesn't like this church. That's not what I said. That's not what I said at all. I've given my life. I'm, I will give my life into this house, into this group of people, in the apostolic family that God has, by his grace, joined us to. But I'm saying I think that in our own devotional life that we can add some of this back. And I think it helps ground us to realize that the start didn't, that, that the church didn't just begin with the Pentecostal movement of the early 20th century. Is that there's some things that extend even further back that really can help tie us to something powerful. 
all kinds of creeds of Christendom out there. For the sake of time, I don't even, I don't even have time to talk about them. But then we understand that beyond just these prayers and these creeds that we can reference, we also find tremendous patterns of prayer in the Bible. And let me say that learning how to pray Scripture might be one of the most important disciplines that we ever learn as believers. And why is that? It's because Scripture has already passed through this thing called inspiration, inscripturation, canonization, all big words that are just simply said that if it's in this Bible, if it's in between these covers, the Holy Spirit has breathed on it and God has decided it needs to be here. So when you see a prayer, whether it was Paul or Daniel or David or anybody else, when you see a prayer that is passed through the grid of inscripturation, you know that's got some, that's got some power on it. That's got some juice on it. That wasn't just a matter of one man being jammed up in one situation, but there's a pattern there for us that if we learn how to pray scripture, if we look at the prayers of scripture, then let me just tell you, you're going to be on every time. Folk come to me and say, Pastor, pray for me. Give me a word. And most of the time I ask them, what word are you standing on? What scripture can I agree with you for in your situation? Well, I don't know. I just heard. I got it. But could we find some common ground? Could we find some point of agreement where God has already said something that we now come into an alignment with that? This is how, this is why praying scripture as a pattern of how we pray becomes so important. And it's amazing that we grab it and, and talk about we understand how we approach Scripture in terms of understanding it, that we, we understand it in the context socially and, and, and the, the, the sociocultural things happening around it. And, 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 and we don't just grab Scriptures out of context called eisegesis. And yet so many times this is exactly how believers, they grab one Scripture and they like what it says. They grab it down and they say, Mine! without any real context or understanding. And so they begin to pray amiss because they don't understand what that word really says to begin with and then how it's applicable in their situation. So obviously we go to the New Testament. We find Matthew chapter 6. We find pray like this, the Lord's Prayer. But we find so many other prayers in Scripture. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for the church. And once again, when you see Jesus praying and you see his words that have been committed to the canon of Scripture, somehow they become prayers that I think have tremendous applicability for us across the generations. Holy Father, keep them. John chapter 17, verses 11 through 26. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Do you realize how long you could pray that one verse? 
And while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Talk about heavy-duty doctrine. Can I lose my salvation? Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. And we know that was one guy. He was who? Judas, thank you. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you that these things I speak in the world, that they will have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Am I supposed to have joy? No, you're supposed to have his joy. Wow. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Once again, why do I feel so... Pastor Jim, why do I feel so weird, so left out at work and or on campus? Why do I feel like the odd guy? Because you are odd. Jesus is praying for you right here. And I don't ask that you take them out, but that you keep them from the evil one. And it unpacks and it goes from there. And I just, for the sake of time, I have to just stop. But we will come back to this. So set my other two teachings back out two weeks, and we're going to come back to this next week. Because I think learning how to pray Scripture becomes one of those critical patterns that we need to develop as we learn to develop a dynamic prayer life. Somebody say amen to that. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you that you have given us the tools. You've given us, God, so many tools. You've given us your scripture. God, you've given us a rich heritage of the saints and those words that they have left behind. God, the richness of theologians that have gone generations before to create these powerful creeds and confessions of faith. Lord, thank you that you have indeed given us these templates, these patterns, whereby which we can approach you with confidence never being tongue tied never having nothing to say Lord bless these people as they come to know you better in Jesus name Amen